Amen, amen. Thank you, Jordan. Y'all, let's just give it up for the salt staff real quick. Come on. Yeah. Um, they are some of my favorite people. I know that they are some of your favorite people, and they love you guys so well. Because it's uh, Jordan's just giving you his heart there. He's just being real and uh, inviting you into some of what Jesus is doing in his heart. And that's just awesome, right? And so I'm Taylor. Just like Jordan said, I've, uh, I've been here at Veritas for the last several years. Love this church. Grew up in Salt Company. Um, I'm a dad. I'm a, a husband, a really lucky husband, super lucky husband. I actually, so Dakota was here from Des Moines last week. Did you guys enjoy having him here preaching? And so um, I actually feel, uh, I just need to clarify some things because he said some things that just weren't true. Um, my daughter is the cutest baby in the world, okay? He, he made the claim, and he was just wrong. <laughs> Let's just be honest here. She's actually in the back upstairs sleeping, so you can't see her right now. I'm sorry. If you want to do some babysitting sometime, just let me know, though, so we can make that work. But um, just to clarify that and get, get it real, he has no uh, chance to speak back against that, and I think that's just okay because he's a great guy, but even great guys can be wrong. So he, he's just wrong. <laughs> Just being real. But um, it's been fun. I'm able to keep up with your guys' parable series, even though I'm not here every week. And Spotify, guys, check it out. Spotify, our, our podcast, if you miss, make sure that you're keeping up because there's been some great messages about earthly stories that Jesus told that are showing heavenly realities. And so we get to get into one more here tonight. Um, so if you want to open up to your Bibles to Luke 16, or if you got your apps, feel free to go to Luke 16. When we get there, we'll be starting in verse 19, so in the middle of the chapter, but just so you guys are ready. And as you're turning and getting there, I just have a question for you. And honestly, real honest, this is a really good question for me as I've been working through this text, and I, I know it's a great question for you guys. Who are you living for? Now, before you answer that question, I know people that have been around in church for a while, they know the right answer, you know? Jesus, King Jesus, you know? You would have gotten an A-plus in your Sunday school class if you would have said that, right? But let's be honest. What do our day-to-day -day actions tell us? What do they show we are living for? Who do they show we are living for? Where's your attention being spent when you're in class or when you're with people? Where is your time going day to day? What are you looking to to get to where you want to go and become who you want to be? These questions point us to and reveal to us who we are looking to, who we are living for, and who we believe can actually secure our identity in our future. And we really like this idea in, in our culture here in America that we're the master of our own fate, right? And some of us, we really jive with that, you know? Yeah, I've got these passions, I've got these desires, I've got goals, I've got a good life in front of me, and I can get after it and get it. And, and, and it's so amazing, we love it so much when we hear whatever that good life is, guys, it doesn't matter if it's riches. It doesn't matter if it's underwater basket weaving for your entire life. You want what you want and just get after it. Realize what's inside yourself and you'll have the life that you want. And so our culture really leans into 
You live for yourself. That's who you should be living for. And some of us jive with that big time. But then other of us, not so much, right? We struggle with believing that we're actually able to get the life that we want. Whether it's anxiety that trips us up, whether it's just our self-esteem is real low, we struggle with believing that I'm the person that's going to get me there. And so we look to other people. If I can get into this crowd, you know, those are the type of people that I want to be, and the where they're going is where I want to get to. So if I fit into this crowd, then I might be someone. Then I might get the life that I'm looking for. Or if I get the spouse, you know, the ideal wife or husband, then I will be, then they'll love me forever, always. Never give up on me, right? They'll always think I'm the best person in the world. And then my future is set, right? I'm good. I have someone with me at all times. And we believe that these things can secure our identity and our future. And, and if we devote ourselves to them, if we give ourselves to them wholly, then, then we'll get somewhere. We'll get to where we need to be. And we become so devoted, we, put, we give so much authority and emphasis to these things, they almost become like a king to our life. You know, we are either the master of our faiths, the kings of our faiths, or we give it to someone else. Who we live for reveals who we think can secure our identity and future that we desire. But then the question is, can the king that we're living for actually deliver? Is it true that if we devote ourselves to it, that it can actually secure our identity in our future. So tonight we're, we're in Luke's gospel again. We jump into a scene where Jesus is, has an ongoing conversation with some religious elites, some Pharisees. And guys, these guys are living well, okay? They, they are wealthy and they also believe they are loved by God. So they are like set from all standpoints, okay? They think that the, the religious ways that they're, they're leading people and teaching people, they're good with God. And it doesn't matter that they're living lavishly and selfishly too, um, because they get both of it. They've earned this life. They're blessed by God. And so they're just eating it up. And Jesus kind of confronts them. And he says, no, 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 no. You can't live like you have two kings. You can't serve two masters. You will love the one and you will hate the other. You will either live like Money is your king, like the comfort and status that it brings is your king, or you're going to love God. You can't do both. You're going to be devoted to one, and you're going to despise another. And the, the Pharisees, they don't, they don't like this much. They're, they're fighting back with Jesus. They don't agree with him. But later on, Jesus shares the parable with him that we're going to be in tonight about a rich man and a poor man. And the poor man, his name is Lazarus. And interestingly enough, Lazarus is the only person in all of Christ's parables who has a name. And, and that means something, and we'll, we'll see what that is later. But in this parable, Jesus is going to show Pharisees where a life devoted to money leads. Where a life living for the king of their making themselves leads. So let's get started in verse 19, there was a rich man 
who was clothed in purple and fine linen. So he, he's showing off. He's really wealthy. He's dressed like a king. Fine linen, it's probably some sort of Egyptian cloth that he's wearing. And it actually refers to undergarment. So this dude is like bragging about his fancy underwear. And if you're bragging about fancy underwear, you got your priorities off, right? Like, that's a little ridiculous. <laughs> Let's keep reading. And who feasted sumptuously every day. Sumptuously. That's a good word, right? Can you say it with me? Sumptuously. Yeah, some of you guys did it. Some of you guys are still sleeping. That's okay. Um, it's a word that really kind of shows what this guy is really after in life. The meaning of sumptuously is splendid and expensive looking. That's what this guy cares about. He wants the expensive life. He wants the lavish life. And he's worked hard probably. He's earned it. And so he's getting everything he can out of it. He's feasting every single day. When I, when I read that, I'm almost envisioning like a Martha Stewart-style Thanksgiving set on golden plates every single day, okay? I mean, we don't feast every day. I know you guys probably don't feast every day. I don't feast every day. So this guy's loaded, and he is just living it up. And he feels justified in living it up in this way, just like the Pharisees feel justified in living it up in this way. He's blessed. He has all this in his life because God approves of the life that he is living. He's good with God. That's why he's so wealthy. He's earned this. He's blessed and accepted by God. His wealth to them was an expression of God's approval of the life he had lived. So now let's meet Lazarus. Verse 20, and at his gate, so that's a rich man's house. He's got a gate. I'm talking gated community. He's rich. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now that's a contrast, right? Lazarus, Lazarus is living the low life. Rich man's living the high life. He's got the low life. He's weak and poor. He's covered in sores. He's not even strong enough to like go and get help. Someone has to carry him and place him at the gate of the rich man in hopes that, some, that the rich man will, will give him some of the leftover food, maybe a turkey leg here or something, so that at least he can be comforted in, in having a full belly. But, but the rich man doesn't recognize him. Rich man doesn't care for him. The only thing, the only things around him that notice him are the street dogs. And they, they're licking his sores. This guy's miserable. Miserable. And so we have to ask the question, why isn't the rich man helping out? Like, bro, you're living lavish. Why aren't you helping the rich? Why aren't you having, helping Lazarus out? And it's because the rich man sees Lazarus as like the polar opposite of him. He thinks that Lazarus has earned this life. You know, you must have, you must have done it wrong in the past. You must, your family must be broken and messed up. That's why you've got this broken life, man. Like, you deserve it. So why would I give of what I've earned, what God has blessed me with because of how good of a man I am to you? He doesn't have a reason to, and so he doesn't. And this, 
expresses the belief in G- from Jews in that time that the circumstances in your life directly show whether or not God accepts or rejects you. And we get stuck in this line of thinking too, right? When life's going real good, we're like, praise the Lord, you know? Grades are doing well. I'm staying on top of, of, of homework and my responsibilities with my job. You know, my bank account is fuller than, it sh- than I thought it should be. I'm, I'm doing okay. Life's good. I haven't gotten a car wreck. That's great. I'm keeping my car. <laughs> we're good there. But then when life isn't going so good, when we do get into that fender bender and we're going to have to fork out some insurance money, when grades aren't looking so good, when job prospects in the future are dimming and not so, so bright, we turn to God and say, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why? What have I done to deserve this, God? We think that when life is good, God is good with us. When life is bad, God's turning his back on us. Uh, Are we right in thinking about our circumstances like that, though? Like, life's good, God accepts us. Life's not good, God's rejecting us. Maybe not. Maybe that's not how it works. But, But here in the parable, we've got this great contrast between the rich man and Lazarus, a man that's accepted by God and a man that's rejected by God from people's perspective. Now check out what happens next. We're going to read a good chunk of the parable now. So starting in verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now that doesn't sound like someone rejected by God, right? The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, oh shoot, um, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Now that escalated quickly, right? Both people in the story, they, they've died. Lazarus, he's, he's probably given in to start his, his hunger or his sickness. He's not recognized by people. He doesn't get a burial. Probably nobody cares that he's died, but he gets carried by angels. And that's legit, right? That's legit. I real hope, really hope that when I pass away, I'm carried by angels. That'd be sweet. And he goes to Abraham's side. And Abraham, Abraham is the chief patriarch. He's like the, one of the most respected people of the Jewish people. And Lazarus, This man that was seen as rejected by God on earth is now being placed right beside him. So you guys can imagine where Lazarus is, right? He's in Iowa. Yeah, yeah, the beautiful place. You guys don't envision Iowa when you're thinking of heaven? 
No? That was a bad joke. Okay, I know. Um, but yeah, he's, he's in heaven. He's in heaven. He died a death of neglect and rejection by people, but is accepted and cared for by God. He had received bad things in his life, and now he is comforted in heaven. God had secured his future. Now, that's, that's sweet. Now, the rich man, he died too, though. He probably ate one too many turkey legs, I'm guessing. Uh, cholesterol just, like, going through the roof. And I just imagine him, like, keeling over at the dinner table. Um, that's what happens when you feast every single day. Uh, he gets honored with the burial. People recognize that he's passed away. But he doesn't go where Lazarus goes. He goes to, you know where? North Dakota. Okay, that was even worse. I know. Anyone from North Dakota here? Yes. I'm sorry, Jamie. I only kind of meant that. Uh, so, <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, seriously, a rich man, he's in hell. He's in the place of the dead, and he's in torment. He's in anguish in the flames. And I, I, this, the text isn't saying here that hell is actually like this fiery pit. It's, it's, it's explaining and expressing this destruction and this chaos. And he's light years away from Lazarus and Abraham. He died a death in abundance and acceptance by people. People thought he was really great because he was so wealthy. But is rejected and casted aside by God. Because he had lived for his comfort and status. That was his king. That's what he was after in life. And his king secured his end. It gave him, it secured his future. He got all the good out of it he wanted on earth, but he wasn't thinking about eternity. And rightfully so, the rich man isn't too happy about this, right? He's throwing a little pity party to Father Abraham right now. Um, so he pleads with him. It's like, you got to help me out, man. You got to help me out. At least do this. Send Lazarus on this errand for me. You can kind of tell that the rich man still thinks he's better than Lazarus. You know, he still thinks that his wealth means something, even though obviously it didn't. But he's trying to order Lazarus around. Though he didn't show Lazarus any mercy on earth, he expects mercy to be shown to him. And, man... He doesn't even apologize. He, he's not sorry one bit. He could have just helped Lazarus out. It wouldn't have been that tough for him. He's feasting every day. He, the least he could have done is throw a turkey leg to his friend. Lazarus is at the gate. He passed by him probably regularly. He knew him by name. But he hoarded it all to himself. He was thinking that he like the Pharisees thought, could have it both ways. I'm, I'm living like God is my king. I'm living like money is my king. I'm getting the benefits of both. But his neglect of Lazarus further revealed that God was never his king. Money was his king. And so the true contrast of the parable comes out here. And it's a great reversal from what people would have expected. The rich man seen by the world as blessed by God, is rejected. And Lazarus, seen by the world as cursed by God, is accepted, 
loved and cared for. And in this, this is where it kind of it hits us, y'all. Jesus is demonstrating that a person's life circumstances don't show whether God accepts or rejects them. And there's a lot of hope in that, right? When we're struggling, when we're, our self-esteem's all out of whack, when we don't believe we can do it, when the world's caving in on us, it's not because God has turned his back on you. Don't believe that for a second. He's right there with us in the midst of it. He cares deeply. He cares deeply. But here's the rub. God cares way more about where you're going to be 10,000 years from now than about the 80-ish years that we get on this earth. More, if you're a lady. Uh, it's just facts, statistics. Guys, you can't get offended by that. Um, they're smarter, and they just, you know, better overall. Um, we can't give birth. I mean, come on, seriously. <laughs> uh, but God cares way more about our eternity than life being comfortable and nice and easy here. A person's life circumstances don't show whether God accepts or rejects them, but their afterlife circumstances do. We also see here that our lives can completely go down the toilet, but God still sees them as infinitely valuable. Take a look at Lazarus. He had nothing, literally nothing, but was honored and comforted in heaven. Why is that? He didn't give God anything. We, we don't see anything about him doing anything for God. So why, why is he in heaven? Remember how he's the one person in all of Christ's parables that's named? And that's significant because his name means one whom God has helped. That's who he was. That's his identity. That's where he saw his identity and future security in God as his king. Even with all the stuff that life threw at him, which God is sovereign over, even in all of that, God was his king and he trusted in him. And let me ask you, did it pay off? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he lived for 40 years and maybe, maybe 20 of those years were in anguish and torment on earth, covered in his sores and hungry. But 10,000 years down the line, he's in, he's in glory just like we were singing. He's in comfort. So as long as God is our king, there's hope in knowing that the circumstances in our life can be trying and hopeless, but there's comfort and peace for us in eternity. And that's good news. That's good news. Now, the rich man has figured out his fate is sealed here. He, he tried the one plea to Abraham, you know, get, get Lazarus to show me some mercy, but he's not getting anywhere with this initial request. So he's going to try a different one now. He's trying to work the situation. So verse 27. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
In other words, rich man's like saying, Father Abraham, my brothers have no clue this is where their life is headed. They have no idea, just like I didn't know. So, okay, if my fate's sealed, the least that can be done, Lazarus can at least run this errand for me to go tell them what's headed for them so that they don't come here. But Abraham says, they know the Old Testament law. They know the prophets. They probably had this stuff memorized. They, they should know what I say when it comes to neglecting the poor and me being their king. You, you show, you reveal, you demonstrate that I'm your king when you neglect or you, when you take care of the poor. And when you don't take care of the poor, when you have no compassion for them, you're showing that you have a different king. So let's get just a little taste of what the Old Testament has to say about caring for the poor. We'll read Isaiah 3, 14 through 15 should be on the screen. Yeah, sweet. Um, can we, is 14 on there? Start in 14. I thought it was there before. Nope. All good. Just listen real well. Okay, sound cool? Um, the Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. Okay, so the spoil of the poor is in your houses. He's saying, y'all have an overabundance. You guys are like the rich man, okay? You have an overabundance stored away in your houses, and there are people that are in need outside your doors. You can't tell me that you are my people, that you are living like I'm your king, if you are withholding from people that are starving. And they're right in front of you, and you have plenty. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts? And real simple, there's more in this, but real, real short, by oppressing the poor, you're oppressing people God loves. All people are men and women made in God's image those of immeasurable value and dignity. And no matter your socioeconomic status, that's true. You're loved. You have immeasurable value. And when you neglect the poor, you prove God isn't your king. The rich man's brothers, they should have known this, but they're set in their ways. Money, comfort, status, their good life, they're living for themselves. They've already set their king. God's not their king. So why would they listen to God's word? Verse 30. And he said, rich man to Abraham, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He's like, no, this isn't enough information. This isn't enough to, to wake them up. They need someone to rise from the dead, okay? If they see Lazarus, they know he, wrote, he was dead. If they see him walking around, they'll know something's up and that we should listen to him, right? And let's see what Abraham says in response. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Seriously? Why wouldn't you listen to someone if they rose from the dead? Like, that seems like uh, you should listen to them because uh, not everybody raises from the dead every day, right? But Abraham's 
getting at is that uh, this isn't like a fact issue. It's not about being convinced by the facts. It's about the king that rules your heart. It's not a head issue. This is a heart issue. So just them seeing some new information isn't going to change their mind. We get that, don't we? There's been a lot going on in the world. A lot of talk about get your facts straight. And uh, it seems like facts don't really change people's minds, right? Don't worry, I'm not getting controversial. I'm not going to blow anything up here. <laughs> Hopefully. I really hope this isn't controversial. Uh, we just need to take a look at flat earthers, right? You know what I'm talking about. There are people that believe the earth is flat like a map, okay? And they believe it wholeheartedly. I, I thought we left that in the dark ages, you know, when we were able to sail around the world. But it doesn't matter the facts to them. It doesn't matter the photos, the videos, the astronauts that have been out in space. It doesn't matter that we can fly from Detroit, Michigan to Shanghai, China in a similar amount of time as we can fly from Los Angeles, California to Shanghai. Like, that just doesn't work on a map, okay? Try it. It doesn't work. But it doesn't matter. They are devoted to this reality. And when you're devoted to the wrong reality, you are blinded to the true reality. And this, in a much more serious way, comes into play if we're devoted to the wrong king. Because when we're devoted to the wrong king, it blinds us to the true king. And the Pharisees are a prime example of this, aren't they? When Abraham says, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, who rose from the dead? Jesus. Yeah, not a trick question. Um, but the Pharisees weren't convinced he was the Messiah. They were living for the wrong king, and it made them miss the true king. How about us? Are we living for the wrong king? Sure, living for ourselves and others, it might lead to this good life that we have pictured in the future. We might, maybe we'll get rich. We know there's rich people in the world that are living lavish lives. But we also know there's a lot of rich people that have empty lives. And they admit it. They tell us. Fame isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Money isn't all that it's cracked up to be. So we can live for that, but it can't secure our identity and future eternally. No, it's the wrong king for that. We need a heavenly servant king to rule our lives. We need a servant king because even if we find the right king, we can't hope to live for that king perfectly. We're flawed. Our motivations get messed up. But we do have a heavenly servant king. And that king is Jesus. And we can trust him to serve us and help us. Because he left his throne on high. He was in eternal bliss and glory 
with Father God and the Holy Spirit. He was limitless, perfect unity with them, perfect community. And he chose to experience limited body. He was born as a baby into a poor family. We can't even wrap our minds around that. The God of the universe putting on flesh and, and being born as a baby. Like that, that's crazy. But he knew what we needed. He lived a life of homelessness during his ministry. He had no place to lay his head. He was rejected by people. From, from outside looking in, the Pharisees are looking at him and your life, sure, you got a following, but you can't amount to much. Especially since they got their way and had him carry his own cross to his death. And he died abandoned by his followers. He looked like a failure. He, he took on the rejection of God, of God on our behalf. But he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. He defeated our failures to follow God as our true king. He won that battle. And he won our acceptance by the Father. And he won our eternal future. He secured that in his life, death, and resurrection. He is a trustworthy, powerful, kind king. In Jesus, we are God's children, and our Father has prepared a place for us in heaven. Again, we were just singing about that. He's prepared a place for us. And that's where you'll be 10,000 years from now if Jesus is your king. So here's the big idea tonight, y'all. Only King Jesus can secure our identity now and our future for eternity. He's the only one. No one else can do it. So choose today who you'll serve. Choose today who you'll be devoted to, Salt Company. Your own purposes, your own vision. We know that it can't satisfy us and fulfill us eternally. Or Jesus, the servant king that left his throne on high to ransom the lives of many, including you and me. If you've been following Jesus for a while, um, or if you're just like, man, I want to, but I, I just haven't even figured out where to start. Well, let's just talk through a few things, a, a step, three steps that we can apply this message here tonight. First, we need to recognize the false kings in our life. Second, we need to repent to King Jesus. And third, day by day, we need to remember our identity, and our future. So start with step one. Recognize the false kings in your life. Who are you believing can secure your identity and your future? Like write it down. The words, money, people's approval, my own drive and ambition. Write them down. And then think through, why do I believe they can do it? Why am I trusting in these things that if I devote myself to them, that they'll provide? Write them down. And then 
repent to Jesus. He wants to hear why you're struggling. He cares deeply. He's not going to wave his finger at you. He's not going to reprimand you. He loves you and just wants you to see the freedom and joy that is in living as him for your king. So take it to him. Show him the reasons why you are tempted. And then pray and search the scriptures for why we can trust Jesus. Remember the gospel. Remember what Jesus has already done that no other king can do. No one in this world, not ourselves, we can't die on our behalf. We can't rise from the dead. We can't do it. But Jesus did it. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, our identity and future are secure. And then remember your identity and your future. Take time each day to think through what Jesus has done for us. I recommend uh, a passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We won't look through all of it tonight, just at a couple verses. But it's a great summary of where we were before Jesus, what Jesus has done, who we are in him, and what he has for us in the future. So let's take a look at a couple of verses real quick. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You all are God's workmanship, his handiwork, his masterpieces. He has carefully crafted you and made you for a life of purpose and meaning that he has set out for you. That's where you can find your purpose and identity. You don't have to find it within yourself and create it on your own. It's been given to you. It's been won for you. And then verses six, or verse 7 of Ephesians 2. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is our future. 10,000 years from now, Jesus has already determined, God has already determined through Jesus to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. He desires to continue to show us his glory and his goodness. Our Father has planned for us this. He's prepared a place for us. And it has all the good of this world and more and none of the sin and pain and sickness. So what does a life after King Jesus look like? Guys, it could be successful or it could be a a simple life. But at the end of the day, it's not about how much money you make or how big of an impression you make from a world's perspective. God is the one who's securing your identity. You don't need to find yourself in those things. And you, that gives you a confidence, a confidence in who you are because you're not trying to create it on your own. And it gives you a peace knowing that the future, it's uncertain, but God is true and God is good and he will see us through it. And at the end of the day, it will be for our ultimate glory and ultimate good. And that's good news. It gives us so much peace that we can give sacrificially to the poor. We can show compassion to people that are in need, even when we are struggling. Because at the end of the day, we know that the best is still yet to come. We're not living for our best life now. Our best life is still to come. And that kind of confidence, 
peace and compassion. It shows, y'all. It is attractive. It gets people asking, why aren't you stressed about finding a job? Why aren't you stressed about these circumstances that are coming down the pipe? Because your future is secured. Your God has won it. And it gives you freedom to talk to the people in your life, to talk to your friends and family at Thanksgiving. Because at the end of the day, your identity is not in what they think you are about you. It's not in if they think you're successful, if you're making the good life. It's been won by Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need you to believe in you. Thinking of the man that went to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's always a tension in our hearts where we are looking to things in this world to satisfy us and secure us. Lord, thank you for being kind and patient with us as we struggle. Thank you for being a good king, a good shepherd that desires to just call us back to you. Call us back to security and hope and peace in you. Lord, show us that you are the good king. Show us that you are kind, that you are a sure foundation to build our lives on. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.